Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try to make it accessible for horse owners and enthusiasts. Please remember with each research topic we discuss that your horse is an individual and you should seek professional advice before implementing any strategies. This week, Nancy and I are marking our 28th episode, I believe, Nancy. Yep, that's correct. So 28 episodes. And for this one, we are having a bit of a Christmas podcast party. So not looking at any specific research, but reflecting back on some of our favorite episodes from this year. Um, And I think this was actually quite hard because... I ruled out any of the interview episodes straight away because I there was no way I was going to be able to pick a favorite with those. They were just so enjoyable. Um, and just a reminder, we had Brittany Davis on this year. We had Kate Fenner, we had Keith Austin, and we had Tom Brodal. Um, brilliant, brilliant topics on each of those episodes. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, do have a look through. But when I tried to narrow down the episodes where we've solely just talked about research, you and I, I was like, oh, I'll pick my top three. And I ended up with eight. And then I thought, okay, I'll try and narrow that down further. So I definitely have a number one. What was your favorite episode from this year, Nancy? My favorite was the biomechanics of locomotion in the athletic course. And I love that one just because it was so easy for me because that's kind of what I deal with day in and day out. And I just felt like um, the flight of the hoof, the um, locomotion, and that uh, website, Science of Motion, mm-hmm. so good for people to realize, just get to know your horse's normal motions, you know, film with the coach's eye, when they're sound. So you'll be able to pinpoint where that area of lameness is. And, um, you know, it, it was just a really enjoyable episode. I really like doing that one. I thought we both made some good points. I like as well, you know, we've had a couple episodes which are really practical and that was definitely one of them, you know, things that you can do with your horse and using the coach's eye to record it, going on to that science in motion, like that was a cool one because it's like, well, I can apply this myself. You know, it's it's accessible, I guess, to listeners. And yeah, and I think I like yeah. I do I like anything that involves um, welfare, and this one talked about the wastage that lameness causes. Mm-hmm. And- the, you know, racing horses, but in all disciplines, you have your horse wastage. And, you know, that's a real welfare concern. And that's close to my heart that when people get horses, they're able to interact with them and enjoy them. And it's not always about being at the highest point um, in the discipline that you like. It's just enjoy your horse and have fun. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of wastage that happens. And um, this one kind of addressed that. It was definitely the, my top episode was 
kind of stimulated the same way because of welfare implications. So my favorite, favorite episode was episode two, and that was pain in the horse's mouth and looking at the use of bits on bridles. And this is definitely going to be um, probably a bit of a contentious opinion, but I think after looking at that research, I probably wouldn't use a bridle with a bit again. Um, And I'm sure there'll be people that'll be like, what? Like, it's ridiculous and we'll disagree. Um, But we had listeners too that wrote into us and said they stopped using bits and it helped with their horses. And I just think like that research was just so confounding. Um, And I think we can just push further. That that paper really made me excited because I thought, if there is still a place for bits in the equine industry, surely we can modernize them more than we have. You know, surely we can make super lightweight, you know, bits that aren't causing as much damage to the teeth or as much pain in the horse. And it just made me hyper aware of any picture I see now of horses being ridden. You know, are their mouths gaping a little bit? Do they have that painful expression on their eye? Is their ear back? Um, so that one was just so exciting to me because I just thought it really kind of blows your mind once you're aware of something like that. Well, and I think even the most gentle of bits in the wrong hands mm-hmm. can still inflict a welfare concern. And I just recently ordered a French link um, egg butt snaffle for my pony because um, and I, I've got the one that has copper integrated into the metal for a more pleasant experience. And I just started working with her um, with that bit. And it's got such a better action for the size of her mouth and for her confirmation. I think we don't look at muzzle confirmation enough um, from galloping on the track a lot of slender muzzled horses are more sensitive to bit pressure and I know the research says that when they do necropsies that nerve is in the same location as wide muzzled horses however there's something to it I I would just you know, wish I could research that because I'd go down the shed row to pick what horse I was going to gallop next. And a lot of times I looked at the shape of their muzzle and determined I'm going with a rubber bit on this one. And it just became a, a thing that I did and it worked out really well. Now, my 24-year-old mare was one of the first young horses I galloped on the track. She was um, a yearling and then a two-year-old when I passed my gallop test. And all through her life, I've used mild bits on her. And she recently just went to a bitless bridal because she's older, her teeth are a little loose, and it's got to be aggravating for her to have a bit in her mouth and she is just really nice to ride in a bitless bridle. Yeah, I feel like I'm probably along the same lines of you in that sense because it's like my pony's older. So that's why I'm feeling like I don't think I'd put a bit in her mouth again. You know, she's done her days of um, the pony club and the competitions and all that. 
and you do you look back and think gosh like especially young riders and inexperienced riders and having been one at some point you're so heavy with your hands at that point you know when you're learning and you're really using that for balance and for control so I just thought that one was super super influential on me um and then yeah. there were, I yeah. think I would go with that one too that that's a very important one and if there was some way you could teach light-handedness mm-hmm. and novice riders but I've even seen you know, older riders that have been around a while not have finesse in dexterity, like what, you know, I would want for my horse. I imagined it was maybe linked with balance, but I suppose if you see it in older riders too, like there, it is in, um, you know, your coordination in your, uh, what do they call that, Nancy? Is it your fine motor movements yeah you're fine motor skills and it must there must be so much that goes into that like how you control how much pressure and like they really feel everything at the end of that because that's why we always say when you get nervous and you tighten up your body like they know straight away Um, and that actually just brings me on to another one which is on my favorite list I don't know where I would number it but the human odor one and its connection to fear-based reactions. Yeah, that was a crazy one to think that, you know, everyone always correlated stress reaction with the rider's heart rate. But this one went a step further and put it with the horse can detect a fear smell. Which is just madness from your sweat. Crazy. (laughs) yes yep that was one of our most popular ones was the the smell one because I think it was so unusual um that you know I had never never thought about that before I always felt like research showed that horses pick up on your heart rate and I think the one we did with fear and the rider's influence or the way a a fear in a rider can be transferred to the horse. I think they said heart rate was the number one factor of transmission. But then this paper took it a step further and said, no, these people were sweating and the horse picked up the odor in the sweat. So that was, uh, uh, you know, really crazy, but it, you know, they, they proved it. Um, Another popular one with our listeners was the influence of music on stable horses. And Nancy and I both loved hearing from listeners on what music they were playing, how their horses were reacting and what changes they make. And I found like since that episode, you know, even if I'm leaving the house and the radio's on, I'm double checking for my dogs before I go out. I'm like, oh, is this a talk show about, you know, current events and the news that they really don't need to be listening to? (laughs) Or can we get some classical music on? That's what I kind of do that with the horses too, because if I put a talk show on, I think it's chatter Mm -hmm. to them, nothing but white noise, you know? And so um, I, I usually will put, either the 
you know, classical music or the country music and put it at a lower decibel than what I used to do it. So one thing that paper taught me is horses are not hard of hearing. Turn it down. And I think then when you couple the paper of the odor and the music one, you realize they have super hearing and super smell. And that's why, you know, your feed room could be a mile away and they know the food is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a fat Welsh (laughs) pony. And some (laughs) of my other favorite episodes, I definitely the practical ones. Like I loved the Epona mind. I loved Kate Fenner's e-bark and, you know, things that you can utilize or like you could fill out that e-bark questionnaire. You can actually use the Epona mind software and just really accessible Mm-hmm. I I did like that, too, because I'm so into hoof measurement and um, I didn't realize it, but I had been talking to Monique Craig, um, who helped her husband develop that. And she told me you could even use it to assess body changes in the horse. So I thought that is such a unique software where you can um, track changes within the hoof and they're like 69 measurements that it will take automatically but you can also just um you know zoom out and take the the body picture side view of a horse and then over time see how it changes so i'm kind of into the artificial intelligence and how can be a predictor of welfare issues. So um, that that was one of my favorites too. I always kind of like the implementation of math into the management scheme. I wouldn't say I like implementing math, but I appreciate the people that implement (laughs) math. (laughs) I I should say I appreciate them too, but I kind of like that that measuring and seeing differences because you can you see your horses every day you don't notice um you know necessarily weight loss or weight gain until it's almost so apparent so um, you know you use yeah we've said before weight tapes remember one was that our one of our episodes where we were talking about metabolic disease how accurate you have to be with where you place the weight tape to actually be weighing your horse properly. And if you're moving it by an inch each time, you're getting different measurements. Yeah, you you really have to make sure that you notate where you had the tape. So when you take it a month later or however often you take it, you're placing it on that horse at the same location. I usually try to use that um, girth area where it slightly makes a place for you to run Mm -hmm. that girth. And that's where I try to, to consistently place my weight tape because then you don't have to mentally notate except where on the withers you're running. And so um, it's important. And and they're somewhat accurate. What I do every year is I'll weight tape each season, but then when my vet comes out to do the well check, he'll bring his weight tape and then we look and see how we measure up. 
And you know what? We're pretty doggone close. So um, he's always uh, likes to be a little competitive <laughs> with me. Does he often <laughs> say that they have more ways on or less? Um, you know what? It's pretty runs accurate with what I have Brilliant. on my weight tape. So a lot yeah. of the weight tapes have a, um, a span of like 1120 to 1180. And so you're in there, you know, that's a difference of 60 pounds. So you, you get a little bit of an average more than a direct amount. So, but him and I are really close within that average. So it means you could be 20 to 60 pounds off, but in a horse, that's yeah. not that much really, you know. I have to keep my pony always on a weight loss program or watch she doesn't get too fat. It's She's never been to where she has a chance of being too yeah. skinny. She wouldn't but let herself go there. The thoroughbred, I don't know. She can look at grass and gain weight. But the thoroughbreds are a little different. And especially as they age, they're less likely to put weight on. So... Um, you, I usually adjust that forage amount accordingly to temperatures and, you know, the level of grass mm -hmm. in the field and, and things like that. But um, it's surprising if you, if you use those weight tapes and I, you know, tend to go every four to eight weeks to measure and then I make sure I don't deviate too much. Uh, I do like to have them at their lowest right before spring grass, because then when you're turning out, you're not going to have a concern of them getting yeah. too fat. So um, I try to let nature, which the way nature has it for horses is to, they lose weight through the winter. And that's because of cold and metabolic energy that under 40 degrees Fahrenheit they're going to burn more calories. So I try to have them get a little on the thin side for that spring grass. And that that's the way nature is. It's intended. a great safe way to get weight off your horse because, I mean, that's something that we have touched on before, but you have to be so careful with cutting back foods and horses. Yeah. And if you overdo it, you know, they the way they're set yeah. up, their liver will start to basically give out and you will have a whole host of problems. You can have colics, you can have everything under the sun. And they do say even the, um, the dick vet, and we've said this before, but you can follow them on Facebook. And we talked, I think I mentioned this when we were talking about rugging horses, but they had the infographic on saying when you should rug your horse and what kind of rug you should use. Yeah. And along that, they also has, is your horse overweight? And then you don't rug them as soon coming into the winter because you let that cold get them to burn that energy and lose a bit of weight. And I do, yeah, and I do put hay in the pasture for the cold days and when grass is, you know, at its low nutrient level and then because you don't want them to eat so much of that low nutrient mm -hmm. grass that you get air spots in your pasture so you want to be able to offer them 
other forage to eat and I put hay out in the field, but you know, you just kind of always make sure they're getting their forage uh, requirement. It's the grain that you can kind of work with, um, you know, for that little bit of weight loss, metabolic loss, and then come springtime, you don't have to worry as much. I have a huge pasture and I like to keep it like a garden. I weed it. I take good care of it because it is the foundation for my horse's nutrition spring, right. summer, and fall. Um, that is something actually that we haven't covered. We haven't done anything on pasture management, I don't think. Yeah, it's a chore. I've, it's probably I've why really, we haven't covered um, it. <laughs> uh, it's a chore because you have to weed. You have to mow regularly because if you just keep letting it grow up, then the you know, you're not doing anything to help it mm -hmm. get dense. And horses are notorious for tearing up yeah. a field, you know. So um, there's a lot into it. And if anybody um, needs information on that, the Kentucky, University of Kentucky has a lot on pasture management. And they have helped me out a lot with keeping a good stand of grass that will support my horse's nutrition. Cool. I didn't know that they had that. Yep. Uh, it's, um, and I'll try and put a link on our homepage at Anchor. Um, dot fm and put that on there so if anybody has questions um, the weed identification they have and you can just um, you know make it a good source of nutrition for your horses and speaking of um, the home page what was the listeners favorite episodes this year um, they had a few the intro episodes was uh, one of their favorites. And then they also liked uh, one of the psychology episodes that uh, talked about the psychology of equine athletes. And I think we went really deep into the emotional state of horses. And if they're at too high of an emotional state, they're not going to learn anything. But they're, if they're at a low emotional state, um, they're not going to learn anything either. You have to bring up their energy to a point where you've got their attention. And I think I used Kate Finner's analogy of the boring teacher, how you look out the window and you think about what you're going to do when you get home and things like that. But the exciting teacher that made the subject come alive, one. that one, your attention. And that's what you have to do with your horses is keep their attention. The one words that I always use for that, um, across like any kind of animal training is relevance. Like you need to be relevant to them. They need to be looking to you for their cues. And if you have a horse, yeah. a dog, I mean, cats are a little bit different because they kind of do their own thing anyway. But if you have an animal yeah. that's not looking to you for those cues when you are training it, then you're really going to struggle. You need to try and build that relevance first. You know, you need to have a trust there. Um, and there are some great Instagram accounts where you can look at clicker training, positive reinforcement training, you know, using treats, and you can build that relevance really easy where they're like, okay, 
I need to look to them. What am I doing next? Um, and I've found like I've been doing a lot of reading on training over the past couple of weeks because I just think it's so interesting to think how their brains work because it's so vastly different to ours. Um, so looking into, you know, getting them basically in that mindset, which some days you're just not going to get them in it. And you have to remember that you might have planned to do a training session on a Wednesday your horse has a different plan and you just have to do your best and you're not always going to get an A result when you're training. Sometimes getting a D is absolutely great if all you had before was an E. So just ask your horse for a little bit more, but don't expect a hundred percent every time is kind of what I've come across in the last few weeks and getting them on that page where they're listening to you. You have to be relevant to them for them to want to learn from you. Yeah, and that episode was done on October 9th, and it's the psychological factors affecting equine performance. That was one of the, the top ones. Um, the personality one um, that dictated whether a person went from dressage or eventing, what they chose as a discipline, that one's pretty close up there, too, as being a, a favorite. Cool. Um, I think that's everything I had this week. I think for me, I'm looking forward to next year, and we're going to be into season Which two. feels crazy. And uh, hopefully, I know. We started this because of lockdown. I'm still in ones. <laughs> um, in... <laughs> me, too. <laughs> oh. So we'll go on to season two. Hopefully we may have Richard Mott, who did the Blink Rate research. Um, if not, we'll come up with something else of interest. And, uh, you know, we're excited. Uh, we are in 27 countries now, and we love all the emails and all the um Gosh, you guys are reaching out and talking to us. We did we um, have an email about one of our episodes. I think it was episode seven, if I'm right. Um, no, it wasn't episode seven. Can you remember what episode it was about the elite athletes, Nancy? Oh, let me check that out here. I can check it out real quick here. Um, is it the cycle? What makes an elite equestrian rider? Um, but it was great to just have uh, it, some, some basically some conversation about episodes we've done. So we really welcome when you guys write to us and you give us your points of view as well. And um, because after all, that is kind of just what me and Nancy are doing, you know, we break the research down and then we can sometimes add our points of view. And we did have a listener just say that they felt like wealth should have been discussed in that episode. And um, it's a great, great topic for discussion because wealth has so many aspects in equine um, industry as a whole. And I think, Nancy, like you put it the best way that it's too confounding of a variable to be able to study. So the research in that episode did mention um, environment plays a role in what makes an elite athlete. We know money can pay, play a factor too in having trainers, having certain horses, having opportunities. But some researchers have actually found it can be a hindrance. Was that what it was, Nancy? 
Yeah, um, it can be a hindrance as well as a help. Um, in some individuals, it can um, make it easier. However, uh, in others, it can be a hindrance to motivation. And that's what makes it a confounding variable. And it's from the extrinsic driver category, which is an extra variable that the research couldn't specifically account for. So they're usually thrown out. In this case, for what makes an elite equestrian athlete, they were comparing eight international Olympic level riders. Um, they were from different disciplines and countries. They each had strong personalities, which the most common personality trait was mental toughness or resilience. Now that was this research paper we critiqued. It doesn't mean there isn't others out there that say differently, but when I searched for them, they, I just could not find any that specifically honed in on wealth as a criteria for success. Now, we can't always um, talk about certain criteria because if it's not mentioned in the research, we certainly cannot interject an opinion unless we have research to support that opinion. So what you get from us isn't necessarily um, an opinion that we feel. It's a research paper that we came upon that directs us to that conclusion. Definitely. Um, but we love having that conversation on like on our social media platforms, you know, getting people to spark that conversation. If you do join our Patreon, then there's a community of like-minded people and you can have that conversation there as well and just see what other people's experiences are. Um, also, we've had some more requests for topics that you guys want us to cover of research, which is absolutely brilliant. And we are going to get around to each of those. So we're making a little list as we go. And yeah, so tune in in season two and we'll be covering those topics. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Kate. And happy, happy new, new year, year everyone. Take care.